Today we are going to be talking about the mission the Lord has for us. I'd invite you to turn in your copy of God's Word to the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew, it is the first Gospel that you will find written in the New Testament. If you're looking in one of our pew Bibles, the words are going to be on the screen behind us, of course, but we always ask people to follow along in their copy of God's Word, whether that be digital or in print. Um, It's going to be on page 886 if you're following along in one of our pew Bibles. And as always, for those that are here, whether you've been here the first time or if you've been here a long time, if you don't have a copy of God's Word in in language that you can understand and read, we encourage you to take that copy that's in the in the pew in front of you, take it, make it yours, spend time in it reading. But today we're going to look at God's authority and where it launches us, how it sends us out. And so would you stand with me in the honor and reading of God's Word as we look at the Gospel of Matthew, verses 28 through 16. 28, 16 through 20, sorry. It says, The eleven disciples traveled to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw Him, they worshipped. But some doubted. And Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to Me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help us to see this as your word that comes with your authority, but also as an act of your grace and love today. That, that these are not fruitless words, they are not arbitrary, they are not optional, they are divine, they are inspired by you, so that we may be equipped, we may be corrected, we may be rebuked, and we may be made righteous and lead toward the work that you have for us. God, help us to develop, for those that do not have it yet, a healthy, hungry diet upon Your Word as the nutrition for our faith. But Lord, not only is something that we consume, but something that just overflows from us. Because we cannot keep it in. We are meant to carry it with us and to unleash it. So Jesus, have Your way with Your Word today. Have Your way with Your people today. And have your way as the one who holds all authority in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, I want to welcome you for part two of our new series, Growing Up Together. As a part of this series, what we're looking at is what does it mean to grow in a way that is healthy, in a way that is good, in a way that is prescribed by God's Word for God's people. And, and, Part of our banner verse that is, comes from 2 Peter 3.18, which says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ to the glory of God from the day of, to the day of eternity and to this day. I probably got that paraphrased and messed up. I am sorry for that. And from both now and to the day of eternity. I, I got it. There it is. It's, it's there. Scripture memory is a good thing. But even if you don't get it right, at least you're trying. And uh, that's an important thing. But our, our whole life is meant to be an act of God's grace towards growth. That we are saved and not just plopped and left 
and just waiting. We are waiting, but we're not just meant to be fruitless. We're meant to grow. We're meant to be healthy. We're meant to be vibrant. We're meant to be full of the life that Jesus has for us. But it comes through growing in a knowledge of Him and, and, and an embrace of His grace. But all of it is not just for a selfish purpose to make us look good, to make us feel better, but it's meant to bring glory to God both now and forever through what we do. Now, the Bible speaks a lot about growth, and, and to cover all of it in one sermon would be a lot. We would be here a long, long time. You know, some people say, well, Pastor, we're already here a long time with you. You would not want me to do all of these, this, this text all together at one time. So we're taking it together piecemeal, if you will, which is good because that's how we live. You know, and no matter what kind of foods and how much we desire, we can only eat so much at a time, right? Uh, well, I mean, some of you probably be like, if you're like me, a challenge accepted. I can eat more than you think. But we can only eat so much and take so much and live out the day that's been given to us. So we're going to look at this a piece at a time. And here, as we look at the Gospel of Matthew, this, this book written by the Apostle Matthew, whose name was also Levi, he, he wrote this gospel as an eyewitness account of the life and ministry of Jesus. And in the Gospel of Matthew, it's one of the most uh, full of, of all the Gospels, of all the texts of the New Testament, really, of Old Testament quotations. It's showing who Jesus was as the fulfillment of this promised Messiah to the Jewish people, but He would not only affect the Jewish people, He is Lord of all people. He is the Savior for all people. And be thankful for that today uh, because the majority of us in this room do not have what we would say a, a direct uh, lineage or Jewish descent or Jewish ethnicity. Uh, we don't come from those roots, but we can trace back our faith to this heritage that we have that God has been known and, and made known and made Himself declared as the Lord of all. But the Gospel of Matthew approaches this subject and shows us how there's this promise and Jesus is that provision. It's written within 15 to 25 years after Jesus' ministry. So this is the first generation of those that are around them. These are eyewitness people that, that were there seeing Jesus. And, and if what that was written was wrong, they could have come back and said, no, this is what really happened. Uh, if Jesus was not resurrected and they had the body, they'd be like, here He is. This is where He was buried. That's not the, who was these people claiming claim to be. But Matthew goes to great lengths to show who Jesus is and fulfilling all of these promises. And the reason we look at these this, this information is because we need to see that God provided this at a certain place in time, but it has significance that is timeless. It has application to our day. When we look and see what it means, we can begin seeing how it applies. So today, if you're here and you're saying, well, I'm not Jewish, how does Jesus affect me? How does this Jewish rabbi? Because He's Lord of all. You may be looking and saying, well, my life is, is overcome with sin, so what does Jesus have to do with me? Jesus is Savior of all. You may say, well, I've got tons of stuff that I, I would never want anyone to know. And, and, and how could God ever forgive me? Because you may think you're a bad person, but I think of churches like semi-good people that, that are getting better. But I'm a really bad and terrible person that's done really bad and terrible things. Jesus forgave those that killed Him. 
This is the great links. This is the matter of, of how this applies to us. But also for your church, you may think, well, that's good for the olden days and what they did and, and the getting roots, but we trace our heritage back to this moment and because of what they did, we sit here today. And so we need to begin putting in the application that because of what they did, the church exists today. And I know the promise is that the church will never fail. But what will we do today that will make effect tomorrow? What will we do for God's glory both now and to the day of eternity to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and for it to matter? Why does that apply? And then lastly, what I trust what God is saying. Today we're going to look in this particular passage and, and, and bouncing off of last week's message when we looked at the significance of Jesus' authority. Today we need to see that out of looking at that authority is where obedience to His action plan comes. It's, it's how the mission of Jesus is accomplished. When we trust His authority and we obey His action plan. Just a quick highlight from last week when we were looking at this text. We, we talked about there's some questions that, that begin arising. When you see the actions of the disciples here in this moment, you, you begin wondering why they're doing what they're doing and why is Jesus saying these things that He's saying. The first thing that we see is they're them worshiping Jesus. And, and the question is, what causes disciples to worship Jesus? And we talked about it being a proper response. It's a, a proper response. And, and you have this in your notes, or if you're following along in the Bible app, it's there. But uh, it's, it's a response to the person of Jesus, both His identity as the Son of Man who took on flesh and the Son of God who died for our sins. We talked about the preaching of Jesus, one of authority and fulfillment. We talked about the preeminence of Jesus. In other words, His supremacy over all things. And this was testified and shown as evidence through His miracles and signs. We talked about the pity of Jesus, that He loved us. And we should not feel bad that we have the pity of Jesus. It's a good thing because someone needed to take pity on us. And His compassion and being the Good Shepherd shows us that. We talked about the provision of Jesus and the, the incredible grace that's given to us through the crucifixion that is the atonement and is not something that, that just kind of happened as a byproduct of Jesus living in the day that He lived. No, His life was directed willingly towards the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. In other words, to pay the price that we were due but could never pay. I heard a pastor put it this way, the atonement is so good. And I know what I've already preached on this last week. But we need to get the gravity of it. That in the six hours that Jesus was on the cross for every soul that has ever, will ever trust in Him and every soul that ever could, He took what was due for eternity on that one person on Him for six hours. And not only for that one person, but the eternity for every soul. That's the excruciating amount that Jesus took. That's the atonement that was necessary. That He drank the cup of God's wrath that was meant to be poured out on us. He poured it out on Himself. That's the provision of Jesus. And yet, even that being poured out on Him, He was able to overcome. That's the power of Jesus. The resurrection that He did die and say it is finished, but whenever He came out of the grave, I like to say it changed from a period at the end of the statement to an exclamation point. That it is finished. His power resides in the scene in the resurrection. And that's what's happening in this moment. They have seen the resurrection. He is alive. He's walking with them on earth. 
For the 40 days He was with them, and they worshipped Him. Another reason to worship Jesus was they had heard the Gospel. This good news of God's character, His holiness, and yet the offense of our sin. And yet Jesus' sufficiency to be the one to take our place. And His gift that that brings a personal responsibility and His gift that that changes our eternity and and His gift that transforms our life. All of these were reasons. So when we ask the question, what causes disciples, what causes them to worship Jesus, it's a proper response. Secondly, another question that we end up seeing is when Jesus began speaking, we see the question arises, what does Jesus clarify about Himself? And last week we talked about how He says, all authority has been given to Me in heaven and on earth. Now here's the thing with that. Either that's true or it's totally false. It it can't be one or the other. That is an absolute statement. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Me. And it is not based on whether we believe it is true or we believe it is false. It is either true or it's false. Now, what we say and how we live, well, that clarifies our position on what we believe if it's true. But Jesus either is saying something that's absolutely true or absolutely false. And it's absolutely true. He's proven it. All these reasons for worship are, are going back to testifying this is true. That He is Lord of all, not just of Jewish believers, but all believers of all the world. That the very one that from Genesis echoes and and speaks, let there be light, that's Jesus. That all authority in heaven and earth is His. He's Lord of all. He's authority over all. The Gospels, one of the reasons that they exist is they're testifying and saying, this is what we saw when we walked with Jesus. His authority over all things. It's absolutely phenomenal. And yet, it's absolutely true. Absolutely true. And then we get to the place that when we look at the statement that Jesus, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth, it presents us with something. Either that's enough or nothing ever will be. His authority is either sufficient or it's not. And if it's true, it should absolutely be. But if we question it, if we come to the point where we're like, He says all authority in heaven and earth, I mean, all's a big, broad umbrella. But we question that, then nothing ever could be enough. I mean, can you imagine a greater statement, a greater power, a greater provision that could ever be enough that goes beyond that? I can't. Now I'm going to see a greater statement of grace that is amazing and phenomenal, but I can't see a greater power or greater urgency beyond that statement. I, I can't comprehend anything. There may be someone that will say, well, I can, I'll, I'll present it to you later. You can do that. That's okay. I, I'm not that smart, so that's all right. I understand that. But this leads us to questions three and four. As we continue this brief account after the resurrection of Jesus with his disciples. We've looked at what causes disciples to worship Him. We've looked at how Jesus clarifies about Himself. But now let's look at what does Jesus command His disciples? What does He command them? Now let's talk about that word command real quick. What do you think of, just as you're sitting there, in your head, in your heart, what comes to mind when you hear the word commands? All kinds of ideas, I'm sure, right? 
And then we probably would break down commands. Well, I think this about commands, depending on who said it. Depending on how where it came from. If you're like me, I'll call myself out in my son's integrity. The other day, um, I, I'm very thankful, he, he said, Hey, Dad, that speed limit sign says 45. <laughs> yes, son, it does. Your speedometer says 55. Yes, son, it does. Of course, I was going to church, so you know, it, it, it totally justified it all. I'm absolved, right? But isn't that how we do and we look at commands? We, we, we know what commands are. They're declarations, they're demands, they're non-optionals, or at least they should be. But then we begin justifying where they could be optional. Where's the gray area depending on who said it? If it's government, well, we begin questioning, where's the loophole? Where's the gray area? I've heard it said, someone talking about the speed limit issue, and they're like, well, you know, if you're not over seven miles per hour over the speed limit, this, I know this is being recorded, I'm condoning this, and I've already confessed to a crime over the, uh, the interwebs right now, but I've heard them say, as long as you don't go seven miles over the speed limit, no one's ever going to pull you over. So they begin looking for loopholes. Whenever it comes to this past season that we've had, as far as paying taxes, we begin looking for the loopholes. We begin finding, where's the area I can, let's use the word, fudge it. Am I right? Because of where we look at the authority. And as great as our love may be for this country, we do that. We just do it. When it comes to education, some of you in the room are teachers, and you've had to have these demands put out to these students. And then you... The student has to come up and, and as we might have done if we, some of you went into, to, went to college or, or you went to a vocational uh, type education where you're learning and, and uh, you begin looking and say, all right, well, where's the minimum? Where's the C grade? How much do I have to do just to get there? I, I'm not really aiming for the A, even though I should, because that's what I would learn if I learned the totality. But based on what I believe about what I should be learning and what I believe about the commands of the person leading me, this is where I aim for. So I'm going to take that and bring that here. I was going to talk about parents, but I usually always talk about parents and that kind of thing uh, as far as that. And um, that's not where I'm going today. But once again, based on the authority issue of Jesus is how we'll look at the command issue of Jesus. If we have a, a place where we're saying, where can I fudge it with Jesus? What is good enough for God? Where will we be? Now, I know there's all kinds of things that can be aimed at this. You can say, you sound like you're getting kind of legalistic there, buddy. Uh, we, we come to Jesus free. There's nothing we can do. You've said that yourself. And I would say it, echo it uh, infinitely. There is nothing we could ever do to accomplish or earn the grace that is found in Jesus Christ. There is no work good enough. There's no accomplish that's large enough. There, there's no achievement that is grand enough to ever earn that. But worship is a whole nother ballgame. You see, earning God's grace is a matter of what He completed on the cross alone. But our worship is our 
natural response, our proper response to God's powerful revelation. And that is an act of where our volition comes into play. And where we recognize His Jesus' authority, is He Lord of all? Or is He Lord of some? And make no doubt about it, I'm not pointing fingers out here. My toes are getting crushed in my own feet right now. In my own shoes. But what does Jesus command His disciples? Now I know that this this text has been preached and many people are preaching it even this Sunday. I mean, it's one of the most famous passages into the text of Scripture. So you've probably heard this multiple times, but yet even though we've heard it multiple times does not mean we don't need a reminder every time. There's some commands here. The first one is to go. To be moving. To be living life. The second one is, and this is not the points that's going to be on the screen. I I do have that broken down in a nice little oration because I'm a preacher and I get freaked out if I don't have the same letters. So I'll get to that in a second. But the second is to make disciples. To replicate yourself. To reproduce, to replace. Because remember, we're only finite beings. We won't be here all the time. One day we'll be gone. Who are we leaving to replace ourselves? To baptize and to teach. So let's look at these and break them down. The first thing that Jesus commands his disciples is to take his word to the world. When you take something, how many of you like takeout? Some of you, I, I love takeout. I even got a little notice while I was sitting in the pew that Chipotle said, and I'm not being endorsed by Chipotle, I know it's not being recorded, that kind of thing, nor do I have a sponsor can use their name legally. But I got an advertisement from a restaurant of Hispanic persuasion that said, today, since it's Cinco de Mayo, if I want free delivery, they'll waive the charge. It's very appealing, by the way. It's very tempting. But the thing about takeout is we recognize it's food on the go. It's not sitting down, finding our comfortable spot. It's taking it somewhere. And usually it's taking it home, taking it to work with us, taking it somewhere. It's going. And this is where the the, the consistency is here of the word go. The Greek text puts us back as you are going, and as you are moving, as you are living life. Go, take this word, this authority that I have in heaven and on earth, all that I've taught you, all that I've shown you, take it to the world. Don't keep it. Don't be stagnant. Don't be just staying in one place. Go. And go with my word to the world. The second is to testify His word to the world. To make disciples. To understand that you are a disciple that is meant to be a living testimony of Jesus' word. And you're meant to duplicate that. To make that say, hey, this is so significant in my life, not because I just believe it enough that it's true, but because it's so true, I can't help but believe it. We need to be careful in how we view that. That if we just say, oh, that's just true for you because you believe it enough, then we're lessening God's Word. No, it's so true, I can't help but believe it. It's not true because I willed it to be true. It's not true because I gave it good enough vibes to be true. It's true no matter who believes it, but I believe it 
because it is true. And I want to be a living testimony of that. To be a disciple, to be the image of it, and recognize that that is a trust that has been placed into us, that God in His authority says, I've given you my word so that it may take root in your life, it may grow in your life, it may go with your life, and it may be evident in your life. And as it's evident, others will see it. It will be a testimony. It will testify of my word to the world. And not only are you to make disciples, you are to teach my word to the world. That as you make disciples, you baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Everything I've commanded you. There's an interesting point here, just a little side note. You want an imagery of the Trinity according to God's own words? According to Jesus' own words? He says, Make disciples, baptizing them in the name, not names, name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God, three persons, the Trinity is there. We baptize them in the one name of the Lord, who displays himself in three persons. Trinity, there you go, theological lesson of the day. But you're meant to teach God's word to the world, to teach Others, these disciples, as they are baptized and and become united with Christ by their belief and public with Christ in their baptism, you're meant to teach them the, the proclamation of Christ through His Word. And to teach them the same things you're learning. Now, here's the thing. Some people are very, very intimidated about teaching God's Word because they're afraid, I don't know enough. Ever been guilty of that? I'll raise my hand. I've been guilty of that. I don't, I don't know enough. Don't try to teach people what you don't know. Teach them what you do know. You ever notice that math teachers don't teach history? I mean, think about it. They don't. When, Melinda, when you were in nursing school, did your nursing professor try to teach like the deep systematic theology? No. But what did they do? They taught you about nursing, right? I'm totally putting her on the spot. I'm going to owe her big time. She is a lovable, amazing. I am so grateful and blessed to have her in my life. (laughs) Free delivery. She does have to work tonight. I may send that to her workplace. So, don't get caught up in that. And don't lessen your, your place as a disciple meant to make disciples, as a teacher meant to teach. You may not know everything, but teach what you do. My grandfather, I will tell you, he had such a fruitful impact on my life. He did not know all the Bible. But what he did know, he taught. Because he knew what he knew with certainty about the Bible. And that was enough to make a change, to make evidence, to, 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 to bring about transformation in my life. The same is true with Many of my Sunday school teachers. The same is true with many of my pastors. I'll be honest, I went to several churches that it seemed like we only preached the same text over and over again. We didn't step into other places. And I had to wonder, do they know the other stuff? Maybe they don't, but that's okay. What they did know, they taught with authority that was behind God's Word. So teach what you know. And God can use that. 
Fourthly, treat the world with His Word. Treat the world with His Word. That Jesus is sending us out to all nations. And as we come face to face, we're going to see the ugliness, the tarnishing, the corruption. We're going to see the things that absolutely break the heart of God. Especially if we're learning what blesses the heart of God, we're going to see the things that hurts the heart of God. And yet, in the middle of a hurting world that has things that hurt the heart of God, we can be a blessing to the world and be a blessing to our Lord and and worshipers of the Lord by helping people that are hurting and needing of His Word be treated by His Word. I'm going to let that sit just for a second. The disciples are Jewish men and they're being sent to all nations. They're going to be confronted with difficult scenarios, difficult translations, difficult belief systems that they've never seen before. And yet, Jesus loves the world enough to send people that may not be used to these things to still be used of God to treat those things. And that's where we see the transformation of the world through the Word. There was a belief system, and it's still a belief system for some, back in the 1800s. In fact, it was one of the major chief belief systems of the Southern Baptist churches when they were first developed in the 1840s. Some Southern Baptist churches are a little bit older than that, but the Southern Baptist Convention was incorporated in 1845. And if you didn't know this and you're here, you're wondering what Southern Baptist means. It's a, a, a mutual partnership of churches. Each church is its, its own governing body, but we partner together for the advance of the gospel. But belief system was a belief system called post-millennialism. And what it was is in the middle 1800s, people believed that the world was just going to get so much better. And it was basically going to achieve a utopia status, and then Jesus would return. Now, I, I have a hard time finding that conclusion in Scripture. I can see some elements that might point towards that viewpoint. But then there are a lot of things that happen, not only on our soil, but across the soils of the nations. That it brought, really brought a tarnish. No. We live in a fallen world and there is nothing that we can do that's going to achieve a utopian status aside from bringing the world the Prince of Peace. There's no transformation aside from the Gospel. It just is not going to happen. No matter how many types of philosophies has come, come and gone in the passing since just the last 200 years, Only the Gospel brings dynamic transformation. It is the only hope for the world. So we need to be careful and not just dismissive and say, hey, I've read that passage, I know I should be about missions. No, we need to see these are commands of Jesus. And not try to find any gray area. But say, because these are commands of Jesus, this is a worship issue. This is not a side issue that's in its own little bubble called missions. 
pastor named John Piper once said this, you know the reason missions gets its own little bubble? Missions exist because true worship doesn't. Because we like to compartmentalize what Jesus' commands are. As if not all of them are an act of worship. What does Jesus command of His disciples? But here's some beautiful things. It's beautiful that we're, we're called and commanded to partner in this. But here's the act of grace. I said there's nothing greater that Jesus could ever say that would be enough other than all authority is going to have on earth. But here's some good news. Jesus has promised never to leave His people alone. All authority is enough. But He says, guess who gets to go with you wherever you go? Me. Me. You don't have to have Google on uh, uh, pull up on the phone to, to find out what the latest uh, theory or, 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 or interpretation is. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth is, is in Me and I am with you. God Almighty, the One who has authority in heaven and earth says, I will be with you to the very end of the age. This leads us to the last question. What does Jesus commit to His disciples? That He is with us? Awesome. But it gets better. And He will never leave us. And He will empower us to do His will. That is found in the words of all authority in heaven and earth is given to me and I'm sending you to do this. So if I'm with you, I'm giving you the ability to accomplish this. But just in case he didn't reiterate it enough, just before he ascended into heaven, when his disciples are asking about questions about the kingdom, he says, you are to be my witnesses and the Holy Spirit will come upon you and empower you to be my witnesses both here and there. And everywhere, to the uttermost. This is Jesus' commitment that follows His command. This is what Jesus has promised us. But the question presents itself. If this is what Jesus has said, and this is what Jesus means, and this is how Jesus applies, what is my response to that? He's clarified who He is. He's caused worship. He's commanded the details. And He's committed to me. What is my response? What is going to be different from this second to the rest of the seconds that I have left? What am I to do? I'll return you back to the same applications we had last week. For some in this room, and I think it's for all of us, first of all, let's get a fresh glimpse and see Jesus. Because we're not looking to Him. If we're setting our eyes on some other hope of glory, on other achievement, we're going to miss out. See Jesus. And some of you in this room, you may need to look to Jesus for your very first time. I'm not asking you to go into some huge quest. I'm asking you to look at Him and be saved and see Him in all of His awesomeness, all of His preciousness, and the value that He is. In this room, all of us, not only to look to Jesus, but we need to seek to know Him. To say, God, once again, create in me an insatiable craving that is for Your Word.
And ask Jesus to do that. Don't do it because the preacher said, hey, you need to spend more time in the Word. Or because Mama said you need to read the Bible more. Or because I need to be a better Christian, so I need to get in the, in the Bible more. Do it because, man, I want Jesus. And He says, I've provided you a gift to know Me. Seek to know Me. Not only seek to know Jesus, but submit to following Him. Come back to this point where we say, God, if I'm honest, I've, I've been one of these people. I, I'm sitting here before you right now. I have been one of those people that, God, where can I fudge it? Where am I looking for just the C grade? And help me to say, God, no, all authority is in you. Help me once again see that you are enough. And let me submit to following you. And then share what you know from Jesus. Once again, you don't have to know it all. I don't know it all. But share what you do know. And recognize Jesus is the authority that makes it work. Jesus is the authority that transforms the soul. You and I can't do that. It's freeing to know that you and I are not responsible for the response of a person, but we are responsible for the revelation to that person. So let's do it and trust Jesus that He does have all authority in heaven and earth. He does command me. And He is committed to be with me, to never leave me, and to empower me to do His will. Let's commit that as a church. This is the first and foremost if we're ever going to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and for Him to receive glory both in this day and to the day of eternity. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we come to this point of response, I, I don't know what You want to do for each person here. I, I have no idea, but... That doesn't mean it's not something that's, that's just faint. So God, in this moment, as the one who has all authority, let us acknowledge that you have absolutely that and we will respond in absolutely the way you declare. We give you this time. May you do what only you can, Lord. And may we follow in Jesus' name. Amen. The music's going to play and I'm going to be down here at the front and all I'm going to say is this is time of response. If there's a next step that you need to take with Jesus and that next step may be the very first step of trusting Him and having peace with God, I'm going to be down here at the front. And I would love for you to help, to help you whatever step it may be. I'd love to pray with you. Whatever kind of encouragement or counsel I can offer, I'm going to be here. But as the music plays, this is a call to response. Please respond according to the authority of Jesus on your life.